0: All right,
1: so Matt, I realize that there is a fine line between a numerator and a denominator. (laughs) Only a fraction of people will find that funny.
2: Oh no! Oh no! No! No!
1: So real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're associated with in the Podbelly Network, and it may be shows that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Promise you're going to like something on there. So go check it out at podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Lomi, HelloFresh, and BetterHelp. And we'll talk more about them throughout the episode.
2: All right, Adam. Let's take a minute and talk about one of our newer sponsors, Lomi by Pila. I love Lomi. (laughs) I know it's just—it's amazing, and you'll hear how much we love it. You know, Adam, you you compost. uh, Amanda and I compost, and it becomes problematic at times because you you've got to have a spot outside. Mm -hmm. Um, It's getting cold. We're not going out there and turning it over like we should. So the loamy is just, it's amazing because not only are we producing good quality dirt for our plants and our garden, okay, we're helping the environment and reducing our trash. Yep. So everybody's going, what well, how how do you do that? That all those things sound great. I'll tell you how you do it. You get a loamy. And Alomi is a countertop composting machine that will take your food scraps and turn them into dirt. And if you think it sounds like magic, it almost is.
1: It basically is magic. I'm blown away every time I turn (laughs) that thing on. And like you said, the the composting is a hassle, especially like during the summer. It will bring flies around the house and it stinks. We don't have enough room in our yard to get it far enough away from the house to where the bugs aren't a problem. And then if you open that door or walk out there and get near it, it stinks. Because, I mean, it's mm-hmm. decomposing plant matter and such. So it's going to stink. One of the awesome things about Lomi that I love and Ashley really loves is that it is stinkless. It, it, you right. can't smell it. You put the stuff in there and click the lid down. And it can sit uh, inches from your nose, and you cannot smell it. It's got two activated charcoal filters in there, and it, it, you would be amazed when you pop the lid off and stick your head in. You go, "Oh yeah, there is stuff in there," but with it yeah. closed,
2: you'll never know it. Yeah, and and you think about how smelly your trash can get when you scrape, you know, your food scraps from, you know, mealtime into the trash can. You know, it, it begins to smell. Our dogs start to get a lot of interest in the trash can oh, yeah. when, there's, when there's food scraps in here. So now instead what we do is we take everybody's plate and we scrape it into the loaming. Yep. And, you know, our trash, we make less trash for one, but now we're taking that food, those food scraps and turning them into something that we can use that's beneficial for our our plants, our house plant, and our garden next summer.
1: That's right. And like you said, when you do that, you put your food scraps into the loamy, your trash, your kitchen trash stops stinking like trash. And it's Mm -hmm. a big pet peeve of mine from working the food industry. I hate the smell of trash because if you work the food industry, you understand what I'm talking about. But by putting the food scraps in the loamy, you eliminate that smell in your kitchen from your trash. And you pick the setting on the loamy, and you let it go. You can hit the, the quick one, and you will have dirt in the morning when you wake up that you can go throw in the garden, throw away if you want to, if you don't have plants, or go sprinkle it around your house plants. You can do the long mode, and the long mode saves beneficial bacteria in the dirt at the end of the thing because it doesn't get as hot and so it's better for plant growth and all that and they've got a third mode that if you buy the plastics from Lomi, you can buy plastic wear and plates and forks spoons you can throw that stuff in the freaking Lomi, and it will turn to dirt which is yeah. actual magic i think
2: yeah yeah it it is it is like magic you know we, we do the grow mode. Um, you use that little activating tablet in there. And in about 16 hours or so, you've you've not only eliminated your food scraps, but you have made enriched quality dirt that your plants are going to absolutely
0: love.
1: Right. You know? And we have been contacted by a few listeners already saying that they have purchased a Lomi after hearing about it from us, and they love it. So if you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup easier after dinner, then join Matt and I in the the Lomi crusade here trying to get everybody in the world to have a Lomi. And what you need to do is go to Lomi.com, L-O-M-I.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, and use our promo code GRAVE to get $50 off your Lomi.
2: Yeah, that's $50 off. When you head to L-O-M-I dot com slash Grave and use our promo code Grave, G-R-A-V-E, at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping.
1: So, Matt, I don't have anything. Believe it or not, oh. I've I've got nothing, so I'm going to appease all the haters out there, and we'll get straight into the episode. So, Matt, why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother?
2: So tonight, uh, we're gonna head to the town of. Now I've 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 heard it pronounced two ways, Stanton or Staunton. What? Anyway, Staunton. <laughs> Staunton. Staunton. Okay. <laughs> but it's, I think it's, it's, uh, Staunton, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now that we've got all that out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about where we're going to, where we're going to look at. We are going to look at the DJ sanitarium. Um, and like, like other, uh, mental health facilities we've looked at uh, it's it's pretty haunted yeah um, there are there are some uh, there's some pretty fascinating stories that have come out of this place oh yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and we have to thank our research assistant Jeff yeah for suggesting this topic because um, Matt and I were not thinking about it and Jeff brought it up and we looked into it and we went yep we gonna do this
2: yeah 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 it's quite it's quite fascinating not just from the haunting aspect but um the story of the facility itself and its enigmatic founder he oh. i mean what he is such such a, i want to say he's an interesting character but that is uh that's an understatement. Plus, it makes it sound like that uh, I kind of appreciate what he did. Yeah,
1: that's being too and, uh, generous to him.
2: You're you're gonna see this. He's he he's more. Uh, he would be more infamous than yeah. famous. Yeah. I assure you,
1: this fool was
2: something else. I tell you. Hmm. Yep. So. Uh, so I, well, let's get into it. Um, like I said, the the history behind the 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 building and the founder are. Pretty incredible. So, Adam, uh, tell us tell us about the Dejournet Sanitarium. All right. So,
1: as we always say, go down to the bottom of our show notes and check our sources. You can find where we found all this information, and you can continue the research because there may be some stuff that we left out just for sake of time. But it may be something that you're like, well, why didn't they cover this? Well, go check our sources, and you can read on about it. So, uh, and and I will say. Uh, that as matt alluded to our pronunciation of these places is probably not accurate um, feel free to correct us but in a polite manner don't go y'all's accent screw that up y'all are terrible just <laughs> j- just correct us and we're gonna do our best so the dejarnet sanitarium was founded in 1932 by dr joseph dejarnet who was also the director of the nearby Western State Hospital. The sanitarium was a private unit for middle-income patients that operated separately from the government-supported state hospital. Now, DeJarnet was a respected doctor among the white Virginia elite at the time, but his career would ultimately be defined by his strong support of eugenics, specifically the forced sterilization of the mentally ill and others he deemed, quote, defective. So yeah, you can already see? tell we're getting into that. This <laughs> fool was something else here.
2: Yeah. What a peach. You know? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> what a peach. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to understand what happened at the uh, Dejarnet san- sanitarium, we need to look at Dr. Joseph Dejarnet, uh, his beliefs and his history. Because understanding what he believed in will kind of give you insights on how people were treated there without us having to go into some of the crazy, gory detail of some of this stuff. Um, we will talk a little bit about it, but we won't go into too much horrific detail just for our uh, mental sake here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, who was Joseph S. Desjarnet? And this comes from uh, Encyclopedia Virginia is where I got some of this information. Um, Joseph Spencer DeJarnette was born on September 29th, 1866 in Spotsylvania County. He was the son of Elliot Hawes DeJarnette, formerly a captain in the Confederate States Army, and Evelyn May Magruder DeJarnette. Now, his mom educated him and prepared him to enter the Medical College of Virginia, from which he graduated in 1888. He considered himself the genetically gifted descendant of uh, colonial Virginians and practiced at Richmond's R.E. Lee Camp Confederate Soldiers Home, that was a mouthful, for a Mm. year (laughs) before joining the staff of the Western Lunatic Asylum. Now, after 1894, it became Western State Hospital, um, which I feel like, Matt, we've mentioned that before.
2: We have, we've, we've mentioned it in reference to other, uh, other facilities and, um, how they operated at the time. Right. Yeah. We've brought it up before.
1: So it comes back. It makes another Graveyard Tales appearance. Now Mm -hmm. on February 14th, 1906, he married a colleague and fellow physician, Chertsey Hopkins, I like that name Chertsey for some reason. I don't I know. I do why. too. That's kind of cool. Chertsey Hopkins. Well, they had no children. Uh, she discontinued practicing medicine after their marriage, and she ended up dying on December 7th, 1947. Now, DeJarnette became the first president of the Augusta County Medical Society in 1904. And in 1906, he was appointed superintendent of the Western State Hospital. Reflecting the reform ethos of the progressive period, he revamped the hospital's therapeutic standards, banned physical restraints, unlocked many patients' rooms, and instituted more sympathetic treatment, which seems counterintuitive when you when we learn a little bit more about him. But that's why I thought this part was interesting. When he was at the, the Western State Hospital there, he actually led up on a lot of the Uh, the rules and regulations for these patients. Now, during his administration, the hospital expanded in size, including a number of buildings and additions Desjarnet designed himself and one of which bore his name, which is this one. In 1932, adjacent to Western State, he opened a self-supporting semi-primitive mental hospital for middle-income patients, which 2 years later the general assembly re- renamed the Dejernette State Sanatorium. Now Dejernette was in the vanguard of Virginia's eugenic sterilization movement. In his 1908 annual report, he recommended that the state prohibit marriage among the insane, alcoholics, epileptics, syphilitics, People with tuberculosis and the quote feeble minded.
2: Feeble minded. That is a horrible
1: I, term. Yeah, I hate that term. And we've had to we've had to talk about it before because there's been some other doctors during this time period at hospitals and sanitariums that we've talked about that have used that term. I hate yeah. that term, but we we have to talk about what they thought in and, order to understand them. So
2: this was the language they used. Right. You know, m- medical language at this time was very insensitive. Oh, yeah. Um, and look, I, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not hypersensitive. Um, but I mean, there, there were a lot of old medical terms that, you know, even by any standard were just horrible. Yeah. And this is one of them.
1: Yep. And the fact that he recommended, that the, the these people that he deemed, I, I guess, lower on the mm-hmm. status yeah, yeah. here, he, he said that they should be prohibited from getting married. And yeah. I, I, I don't understand it, man. I really don't. But yeah. again, there's a lot of stuff that doctors and, and people did back then that I'm not going to understand
2: well and again it, it 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 all speaks to how poorly mental health was viewed around this time in in the in the early 1900s and what little understanding uh, medical science had so you know the the idea that any type of mental illness is you know can be genetically passed on is just trying to put everything in one basket and say, this is it. Mm -hmm. This, This all fits. And that's not true at all. Right. You know, so in an attempt to somehow prevent, um, more people from being born with these illnesses, he says, yeah, let's, uh, let's not let them get married. Right. Well, since when would, would having an illness cause you to lose your personal rights
1: yeah exactly exactly you have it doesn't matter if if you have tuberculosis or epilepsy or are an alcoholic you still have the personal right to be able to get married and yeah. he's he's pushing for the personal rights of these people to be taken away which is kind of bs But as we get farther into who uh, Desjardins was, it will become pretty clear as to why he thought this. Um, Now, Desjardins argued, this goes on to say, that the, quote, mentally disabled people should be sterilized because it amounted to a crime and a burden on society to allow them to procreate. I'm just going to pause for effect there. I I can't say anything (laughs) about that that I'm allowed to say on this show. So I would I would have a long string of beeps that I would have to edit in here, and I'm not going to do that. Now, he relentlessly demanded that the state pass on sterilization statutes and building on the eugenic theories of the country's most prominent scientist. He gained recognition as a leading authority in eugenics. Mm -hmm. Now, after 16 years of lobbying, during which Desjardins spoke before medical societies, social workers, university students, and reformers, the General Assembly authorized eugenic sterilization in 1924. Amazing. And not in a good way. That's just. Now, he then took part in arranging a court case to test the statute's constitutionality. Desjardins testified in support of the state's involuntary sterilization of Carrie Buck, an allegedly feeble-minded 18-year-old Charlottesville woman. In Buck versus Bell in 1927, the Supreme Court upheld Virginia's sterilization statute, a ruling that authorized the sterilizations of about 8,300 Virginians and 60,000 other Americans before 1980 in the more than 30 states that enacted similar laws. dejarnet performed many of the 1,200 operations that occurred at Western State during his tenure. Yeah. I uh, just, well, we'll keep plugging away. It's I can't say this is crazy enough, so we'll just keep plugging away. So this says that the vigorous implementation of Virginia's eugenic sterilization statute uh, in Virginia trailed only California in the total number of people sterilized, but it did not satisfy Desjarnet. By May 1930, he had sterilized 33 women by tubal ligation, 60 men by vasectomy, and five people by x-ray exposure. That's got to take a lot of x-ray to do that.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's why, uh, when when pregnant women go in and they have to have an X ray, so if you if you injure your knee and you're pregnant, they're gonna put this big lead sure cover over. I don't know. I don't think. I don't know if it's lead anymore. But anyway, it's gonna block the
1: mm-hmm. X rays.
2: You know, from you know, from your belly. Yeah. And because they know. That you know, exposure to x-rays can cause problems. Right. And so to purposefully expose somebody to this type of x-ray to the extent that it actually sterilizes them, you it's not a situation where that's gonna be the only thing they come away with. Yeah. Okay, exactly. It's gonna cause other problems. There's gonna be other side effects. So you know, even if you look at things, oh, well, that was a very humane way to do it. Is it humane to do this in such a way that you're potentially exposing them to other damage?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was well, just easy.
1: Yeah, it was just easy for him. Yeah. But that brings up a thing I've always wondered about, Matt, on a kind of related note, but not. When you go in to have an x-ray, you're sitting there under the x-ray. And everybody else in the room is putting on these <laughs> lead-lined everything, and you're like, "Look, right. if if you wear one of those, why is this okay for me to get? I, I don't yeah. I don't like that. Give me one of those. <laughs> it's it's because they're in there all day every day. Whatever excuse you got to make, you Matt. I'm just saying. <laughs> if you're if Look, you're X-raying my arm, give me a shield for the rest of me. I, I don't.
2: I had so many x-rays when I was a kid uh, from getting hurt all the time that uh, my mom said I should glow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, who's to say parts of you doesn't? I mean, you can glow in the dark in places.
2: Well, that's for another show. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: That's Patreon. (laughs) So to get back into it, Desjardins remarked in the January 1931 issue of Virginia Medical Monthly, quote, we are just getting into good working trim and expect to sterilize 500 per year in the five hospitals, end quote. Yeah. The five he was hospitals. excited about it. Yeah. That the state operated there. He was he was stoked. Um, now, though he was far from the only advocate of eugenics at the time, Desjardins was one of the most passionate and infamously commented that Nazi Germany was, quote, beating us at our own game, end quote. So see this—it's starting to kind of come together as to what kind of guy Dejarnet was here. Oh yeah, and we'll just keep going because this puts more into him here. Following the atrocities of the Holocaust, the attitude toward eugenics in the United States went quickly downhill. Eventually, it was denounced as inhumane pseudoscience, leaving Desjarnet's reputation irreparably tarnished. Although the practice of forced sterilization would continue in Virginia well into the 1970s. But like I said, uh, in 1932, he founded the Desjardins Sanatorium and would transfer patients to this newly formed clinic. There, he continued to perform countless sterilizations and medical experiments on patients such as electroshock therapy and lobotomies. And we've discussed the treatment of patients at other sanitariums in past episodes, but yeah. He's, yeah,
2: and this is pretty common here.
1: Right. Uh, he, he's not only doing forced sterilizations, but he's doing electroshock therapy, lobotomies. He's anything medical that you can think of, he's doing on these patients that are in his sanitarium. Now, in 1943, after the culture at Western State Hospital worsened, the board of directors removed Dr. Desjardins from his position due to his autocratic leadership style and the decrepit conditions of the treatments patients were receiving. Now, many former patients actually report being shackled to walls and floors, being malnourished and the major overcrowding of the cells there. And the fact that they yeah. call them cells instead of rooms, that should give you some kind of hint into <laughs> yeah. it as well.
2: Yeah. Oop, what a giveaway. Mm hmm. Uh, <laughs> And it sells, not rooms, you know, nothing. Yeah. Like it was awful. But, you know, because record keeping was minimal at best and documentation of these surgeries was not required, there's very little evidence of the horrors that patients of DeJournette experienced. Uh-huh. Now, it was apparently common practice at the hospital. To transfuse blood between patients at opposite ends of the psychiatric spectrum. Now, in one known case, Dejanet transfused blood drawn from a hyperactive patient and injected it into a depressed patient. Like that was going to do anything?
1: Yeah, like that. It's like replacing the oil in your car. It doesn't work that way,
2: right? It was, you know this this seems almost medieval in thought, like. Oh, your blood humors are mm-hmm. you know out of alignment. I mean, what? Like
1: the the weird medieval um medical treatments that we talked about in a Patreon. That's uh-huh. that's yeah. what this feels like.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll just we'll take blood from this one and put it in that one So hope maybe it'll it'll even out. Why I I I mean, even I, I realize that. Medical science was still really growing at this time, but come on.
1: Yeah, it's well, still already
2: figured this out.
1: Right. I was going to say it's still the 1940s. So, yeah, we we shouldn't still be thinking this. And I, I think most of the medical community probably aren't thinking this. Yeah. It's just this Dejarnet fool that yeah. keeps doing it
2: like Theodoric of York, yeah. <laughs> medieval barber.
1: And I realize I've called this guy a fool many times, but it just explains how I feel about him. That's the the best way I can get it across on a PG-13 show.
2: (laughs) But, you know, Adam, the the facility, it also served as a place where parents would bring unruly children Mm -hmm. to admit them for care. But in many cases, children were just taken into the hospital without any problems at all. Other than their parents just didn't want them anymore. They kids were just abandoned there.
1: There was another place that kind of had something similar that we talked
2: about. Yeah, there were several. I mean, you remember the the whole thing about you know a, a, a guy could have his his wife admitted for mm-hmm. you know the the smallest most ridiculous things.
1: Yep. And the one we okay. talked about where the guy got remarried and the wife didn't want the kids, so instead of saying, "Well, no, they're my kids," he said, "All right, let's send them to this hospital." Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, it just seems and I uh, I don't I don't understand. But anyway. But but these healthy children would mysteriously develop multiple ailments shortly after arriving. Several had new neurological problems that were potentially side effects of the experiments that had been performed on them. Now, some I'm not feel surprised like,
1: by that. If you're doing this stuff now, to people, you're going to create problems.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and some people feel like, which is not unlike other mental hospitals we've researched, the negative energy present in that facility because of all of this that happened makes it a beacon. For paranormal activity. Oh attracting spirits and entities that may not have any real connection to the sanitarium at all.
1: Yeah. And I have a I have a theory that we'll discuss kind of toward the end, but remind me that I have this theory to tell you.
2: All right. Remind Adam about theory. Okay. (laughs) Just make a post-it. There you go. (laughs) Now Former patients have described ghostly encounters while they were there. The most common being the appearance of shadow people.
1: All right, so let's take a second and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, HelloFresh. And Matt and I love HelloFresh, especially during this time of year, because it's the most festive time of year. And HelloFresh is here to help make the most of every moment. So you don't have to worry about planning the dinners. I mean, Matt has used it for Thanksgiving dinner, so you could use it for Christmas dinner as well. Yeah. If you want to. there There's a lot of meals as well in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you have to plan for these meals as well. Well, instead of yeah. doing all that, then you can just order from HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that delivers farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and let HelloFresh make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit.
2: Yeah, and it's not just holiday meals. I mean, this time of year, you've got parties to go to, you've got shopping to do, you've got that Christmas pageant that you, you know your kid's in. Thinking about just regular weeknight dinners can can really be a challenge. And you wanna save some money. So try to save on what you eat. HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and it's 25% less expensive than takeout. So you can use those savings to get that extra holiday gift or go treat yourself. HelloFresh can help you eat better during all the holiday temptation. Lord knows there's plenty of them. Oh, yeah. Their meals have 20% fewer calories than takeout. So you can still have all that great flavor without the guilt.
1: That's right. And quality is HelloFresh's priority. Ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know it's fresh every time. And Lord knows how long they sit on the grocery store shelf, so... It's much fresher than a grocery store. And if you're traveling over the holidays, that's fine. HelloFresh has plans that work with your schedule. You can change your preferences, your delivery day, and address in just a few clicks. So let's say you're going going over to Aunt Gertrude's house for a week or so, and you're like, I don't like what she cooks, so we're going to have HelloFresh sent over to Gertrude's house. You can change the address from yours to hers and go, oh, mm-hmm. Shockingly, HelloFresh is here. Don't worry about cooking. We've got it, Gertrude.
2: (laughs) That's right. And it it makes it so easy. My kids love it. When they see that HelloFresh box, they get super excited because they know they're going to get the help and they know that dinner that night is going to be delicious.
1: So if you want to join us and order HelloFresh for your home, or like we said, Aunt Gertrude's home. All you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard18 and use our code Graveyard18. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-8 for 18 free meals plus free shipping.
2: Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard18 and use the code Graveyard18. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-8 for 18 free meals plus free shipping hello fresh america's number one meal kit but since record keeping was poor many of the stories have sort of become legends um but because the evidence it just isn't available to it. right now one story involving djernet was his creation of a gas chamber in the basement. A gas chamber. I just... (laughs) According to the story, DeJarnet would place patients in the chamber and fill it with various noxious or even lethal gases in hopes that the exposure would have a beneficial effect on whatever mental illness the patient suffered from. It is said to have caused many deaths. I'm sure. Dee continued because he sincerely believed in this practice. I know. Again, it was just it was just a theory. Yeah. You know, it was his own whacked out theory, and then he just starts implementing it with complete disregard.
0: Yeah. Um, despite the evidence, the patients
2: under his care.
1: Despite any evidence, because he's yeah. got all his evidence to the contrary that it's not doing anything; it's killing people. Are causing problems, he holds fast to his theory that, no, this is good for him.
2: Yeah. Now, it, it is important to point out that the, the story about the gas chamber, as far as we know, is just a story. There, Because there were no records, either they, they went missing or they never even existed at all, we don't have any proof other than anecdotal stories from former patients and people that were employed there. So, because of those records, an actual death toll is not really available. But according to legend, the city of Staunton filed an official request in 1932 for the facility to stop using its crematorium. The town reported that it was being used far too frequently, reportedly anywhere from 10 to 30 times a day. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Okay. Smoke from the crematorium would pour out of smokestacks and was drifting into the town. Now, do some quick math here, and you get a potentially astronomical number of deaths. Yeah. And estimates put the hospital's death toll at somewhere near 10,000. Wow. Now, that is that is way more than other places we've looked at.
1: Oh, yeah. Way higher.
2: Yeah. The cemetery at Western State has 3,000 graves, but that's just the ones that are marked with headstone.
1: Right. And wasn't cremated.
2: Yeah. There's no way to count those that are buried in unmarked or even mass grave sites.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was rumored that they those existed. And it doesn't include the cremations, as Adam just said. You know, so even at three thousand, you've you've got to at least double that number, um, for the people that died had no family, had nothing, or shoot, they just didn't even care at the facility and just dumped them. Right, right. So you've got a really good background at how bizarre things were at Dejerneit Sanitarium, and and how all this negative energy just seem like it was bringing in paranormal activity more so than just the spirits of the tortured souls that, that died
0: there. Uh-huh.
2: Now, one ghost in particular is thought to be that of Dr. DeJornet himself. And it is said that he still roams the halls of the institution. Visitors have reported seeing his apparition in the hallways and in his former office. Some even report hearing him shout, get out. Um, there have been EVP recordings made inside the facility, and and get out is a very common response. So, you know, they've yeah. attributed those EVPs with Dr. G- DeJarnette. Of course, he wouldn't want somebody in there poking around what he was doing.
1: No, no, he wouldn't because be afraid they'd find out stuff about him that we've already found out, but he may not know. We know so.
2: Yeah. Now, like I said, the paranormal enthusiasts have described this hospital as being a beacon for entities due to the volume of negative energy. This has led investigators to categorize the hospital as one of the most demonically active locations on the East coast. Um, Because we've, We've discussed this with other places that there's a big difference between seeing that that stone tape that just recurrence of past events and an intelligent haunting where a spirit of someone who had passed on has this awareness of your presence and this either desire or in some cases ability to interact with you. But then there's things like a demon a demonic haunting. You know, where an outside entity just decides I'm gonna feed on all this negativity that's
0: here. Mm -hmm.
2: And and just shows up, sometimes multiple. Um, and that that presence of shadow people is another indicator. It's just negative, negative energy. And and there's very little known about the property that the facility is built on right. so there's there's probably some history there too if the patients were experiencing uh paranormal activity while they were there
1: right right and I I bet you they were um, yeah I, I bet you they they experienced a lot of it that was either written off as something wrong something going along with their mental disorder that they had or something.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, they're going to pawn, uh, uh, pass that off as uh, it's hallucination. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's whatever. It's not, it's not real, but there have been reports of glowing red eyes. Now, sometimes these red eyes even appear in groups, looking out from the darkness of the hall. Now, these reports come primarily from the second floor. And on the second floor, other visitors have even witnessed objects levitate.
1: That that gets me. When you see something levitating, because as we've spoken many times in the past about the amount of energy that these things would need to yeah. physically manipulate something here that's insane it okay. is
2: yeah now there was there was a story that came out from one particular investigation there where an object levitated right in front of several members of the team that were all standing around it so they all had a, a visual from a different perspective to see that this was an actual physical object that they could reach out and touch that was floating right in front of them. But the activity is not limited to the rooms and the hallway. Outside on the grounds are where, where many people report the presence of shadow people, often reported in groups. Many experiences relate the movement of shadow people in a way that made them feel as if they were being surrounded.
1: Oh, that's got to be creepy. Oh, my God.
2: Yeah. Now, these shadow entities appear to be some sort of guardian of the building. But the stories tell us that walking up to the hospital at night will result in the alerting of the shadow guardians who will surround you and slowly attempt to lure you inside and once inside it said that no one leaves unchanged hmm yeah
1: that's so, a, a a statement that you really don't want to hear
2: i know I know uh, and then and you know it it used to be open for tours and uh or it was well it was on a list of of like a a, a ghost tour in that area mm-hmm Um, I don't know that they, they necessarily at that time were allowed to go inside, but they definitely were on the grounds just outside the building. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there's, I understand there's safety aspects to all this. And, and currently, uh, the building is closed to visitors. So you, you, you can't really even access that area around it. Now this one, this one was for Adam. I had to include this. Uh-oh. Some some visitors have reported seeing ghostly children along the road Ugh. leading up to Desjardins. Uh. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, you're driving along. It's like the uh it's like the the thing where the signs say uh, you know, hitchhikers may
1: be escaped mental patients. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen those. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Hitchhikers may
1: be uh, ghostly children. Yeah, it may be ethereal bodies that you can't touch or feel, but they will mess with you if you allow them in your car. Please do not stop. That's right.
2: Now, one of the most interesting legends associated with the DeJernet Sanitarium is that of a young boy in the 1950s who was admitted to the facility by his parents who could no longer care for him. Now, the boy was supposedly healthy at the time of his arrival. Shortly after his admission, the boy lost the ability to speak. Hmm. And a few months after that, he could no longer walk and was confined to a wheelchair. Oh, wow. So the nurses became close to this boy and would take him outside, and they would take him on walks, pushing him in his wheelchair around the ground. But at the end of the day, the boy would follow the nurses out in hopes that one would take him home with them. And the nurses would sadly have to tell him that he couldn't leave with them, but would often have to notify security to have him return to the building.
1: That's sad.
2: So after only six months, the boy passed away. Uh. Now the nurses and the doctors that cared for him would report hearing his wheelchair rolling behind him, behind them after his death. And on occasion, they would see the apparition of the boy in his wheelchair at the gate as they were driving away. Uh, yeah,
1: that just, that hurts me. That, that's sad. This kid I know. wanting to be taken home and they can't take him home and then even after death he's still trying to do that
2: yeah and 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 if if this story is is even somewhat accurate um you know this this was a healthy kid Mm -hmm. and he comes in there and this doctor starts doing all these experiments on him and next thing you know he can't talk yeah and then he can't even walk And there was nothing wrong with him, according to the story. Wow. Yeah. Now, in a video by father and son paranormal group, Fife Paranormal, out of Virginia, Jake Fife describes his experiences at Desjardins while working as a security, uh, working security for a, a local ghost tour group. He reports the sound of being followed by a wheelchair as one of his strange encounters. (laughs)
1: Man.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Others have had similar experiences. And Jake says that a person being followed must turn and tell the spirit that they are sorry, but that he cannot leave with them. And then they must walk back up to the entrance to the hospital as if escorting the young wheelchair-bound boy back inside. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it... It's pretty I, it, interesting that they have to walk back in like to bring him back in. Yeah. And That's yeah. interesting to me.
2: So otherwise I guess you would take him home. Yeah. You know. Hey, like, I'm I'm su- I'm such a softie, I probably would. Yeah. Come on. Come on, get yeah. in. Let's go. You would. Or somebody asks any questions. Yeah. like, hey babe, um, I, I brought home a uh a a ghost of a little kid that's in a wheelchair. Just if you hear a wheelchair rolling around, don't worry about it. It's just him.
1: And just leave a toy in the hallway or something. He'll he'll yeah. get it and and be occupied.
2: <laughs> That'd be me. Stray dogs and
1: mm-hmm. stray
2: cats and stray ghosts. I'm I'm all about
1: it. Yep. <laughs> I understand now, man but it, it <laughs> still to me that is a that is a ghost kid and you know me and ghost kids so as bad right. as bad as I feel for him I'd have to go nah buddy go go with it's, Matt go find Matt as bad
2: as bad, bad juju mm-hmm. uh, now Jake also recalls a night where he was trailing a tour group just ensuring that there were no stragglers or wanderers and he noticed someone standing over in the weeds where there was once a golf course. Now it's interesting to point out that underneath the golf course is where the majority of the mass graves are said to be. Oh geez. Yeah. Talk about a hole in one.
1: Yeah. All in one hole. (laughs) I, I, I can believe that a place with a mass grave would be a, a place that there would be a lot of angry spirits. Oh, yeah. Because it, if after your death, if you care what happens to your body, like a lot of legends say, then that is not a place to be hanging out because everybody there is going to be mad that their physical body was disrespected that much.
2: That's right. That's right. Now. Jake said he called out to the person, instructing them to rejoin the tour group. He noticed at that point that the weeds began to move very fast toward him, like something was running at him. Now, he was taken off guard and and said he backed up, only for the weeds to stop in front of him. No one was there, but he recalls feeling as if he was being watched. Fife describes turning around, looking down the main path, and seeing a shadow figure. He said the figure appeared to look at him, then started moving toward him. But suddenly, the figure made this strange sliding motion into the weeds and disappeared. That's okay? weird. And and that's when he said he he knew for sure that it that wasn't a person.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That this this weird slide that he did, he said it was just inhuman, and and that's when it registered. This was, this was not a person, you know. Um, uh,
1: that's creepy. Ah,
2: but uh, but Fife also reports seeing as many as three shadow figures at one time on the front grounds of Dijonet. So I mean, you know sometimes quality surpasses quantity and mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about you know haunted stories and with a place like deernet that's been closed to the public for several years to have these uh, recorded events and these experiences it's it's just amazing right. Um, and for someone like Jake Fife, who uh not only was from virginia but had uh had the ability to be up and around there many many times um the the odds are really good that not only was he going to have experiences he was going to have multiple and and probably uh several of the same recurrent experiences especially when it comes to these shadow figures that were apparent guardians of the building itself
0: Mm -hmm.
2: i mean it's just you know when when we start talking about things like shadow people um which you know they they come up but if you notice the the shadow people when we're talking about these old abandoned hospitals and mental facilities and things these shadow people they show up when there's a lot of other activity going on,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: you know, when when there's not only just a lot of negative energy, because we've talked about places that should have had a ton of negative energy and and no real experiences to speak of, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we they, you really fire up that that negative energy. The patients that were there reported paranormal activity and. It over the over the years, it just seems like it has drawn more, and especially without any human interaction inside that building, it just kind of take over.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of becomes a, a meeting point yeah. for them.
2: So, Adam, you said you had a theory about all of this.
1: Yeah, um, and and I'm going to preface it by saying I have talk trash about people who always go to demonic this, demonic that all the time. Right. So I I don't think everything is demonic activity. And I I do believe that there are just evil people in the world. There's just evil. But considering the type of activity at Desjardins, do you think that there is a possibility that either Doctor Dejarnet had a maybe demonic attachment that caused him to do this stuff to these people, or did he acquire one after? Like he was already kind of an evil dude and into eugenics and stuff, but then as he started performing these sterilizations, that a demonic entity attached to him and pushed him further down that rabbit hole of let's do all these weird experiments on people and all that.
2: Yeah. Um, you know what? That's not something I've considered, but that's, that's not bad. I mean, I, I, I could get behind that theory. Um, cause like you said, he, he wasn't a nice dude. No. I mean, he was, he was already a little off, uh, especially with this, you know, this concept of eugenics. Um, You know, anytime anybody starts spouting off about making a a superior human being,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I I I, just—I'm always just like, yeah, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, don't, you—you've said enough. Time to to get know exactly what you are.
1: Get as far away from that person as possible.
2: Right. Um,
1: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.
2: Adam, have you ever had a time in your life where you wish that life came with a user's manual?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time.
2: Just trying to navigate life's challenges can really knock you for a loop, whether it's changing careers, new relationship, becoming a parent. All of those things can just really turn your life on its head. Now, therapists are trained to help you out the cause of these challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of life.
1: Oh, it's great. And,
2: and, you know, it, it really helps. And I know so many people have a stigma about going to therapy and things like that. But that is where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists Convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. And I, I can honestly say that after filling out this questionnaire um, about the things that I was having some issues with, uh, you know, BetterHelp connected me with a therapist and answered a few more personal questions for them. And I mean, I, I was on my way. And I didn't have to I didn't have to leave my house um, I, I didn't have to make an appointment I didn't have to try to arrange my work day so that I could, I could get there um, because that's stressful in and of itself and that's what you're trying to avoid oh, yeah. so with better help you avoid waiting rooms and appointment times and all of that but you still get qualified therapy that you need.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the coolest things to me about BetterHelp is that you can do it over the phone. You can text with with a professional that will help you through things, and you can do it if you're having issues in the middle of your work day. Well, sometimes you can't just leave work to go talk to your therapist, but you can text BetterHelp on lunch break or, or one of your breaks and get some help quickly and if you happen to not be clicking with your therapist it's super easy to switch and find another therapist that will click with you and as the world's largest therapy service BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100 online plus it's affordable all you got to do is like matt said fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist and then if things aren't clicking switch get you another one and it's, it's super simple. There's no waiting rooms. There's no traffic or endless searching for the right therapist. And you can learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E.
2: Yeah. Get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. so if if there there was some uh some something going on with that property you know pre-hospital maybe maybe there was some native American uh battle there maybe maybe there was um maybe it was uh sacred ground whatever if if there was something like that going on Something that would attract, um, you know, spirit activity of all types, uh-huh. and then they go and they put this hospital there. And here comes this doctor, and something he's susceptible, and he something taps into his psyche, and it just says, "Yeah, you're on the right track. This is what we need to do. Uh-huh. You know, we gotta we gotta push harder." We've got to do more, you know, and, and it it drove him, you know, I mean, it really drove him and, and you see that because of his, his leadership style that, you know, they, he almost created this autocracy where he was the, he was the final say Mm -hmm. on everything and nobody was allowed to question him. Um, you know, that's what ultimately got him removed. Right. Um, which, you know, I, am I kind of think that that's one of those things where, uh, you know, they, they're looking for a reason. They're like, we, you know, we, we don't have a better theory, but we got to get this guy out of here. You know, what, what are we going to use to, to legally remove this doctor from this position? And they were like, well, He's a complete and total butthole, and he treats everybody like crap, and he doesn't listen to uh, any of his colleagues, mm-hmm. and he rules with an iron fist. Okay, okay, perfect. You know, and they get him out that way, right? You know, that's what I kind of viewed that as. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in all reality, people may have been going, "Man, this guy is off his rocker." Yeah. We are doing some horrible things to people, and nobody cares. Nobody's stopping us. Nobody is asking questions. You know, somebody needs to stop this guy. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately they did, but the damage was probably already done. Right. And, and that negative energy was so, so strong by that point that, you know, it, it was already bringing, you know, entities in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To, to just feed there. Yeah, because like we've mentioned previously, that paranormal sludge that I've theorized about where when you have so much negative stuff happening that it's like throwing buckets of tar onto the walls. It's going to stick. And the the more buildup you have of it, the more the negative entities and even the benevolent entities get trapped there and stuck there because of this sludge, this tar that you've thrown around with all the negative actions and energies of the living. And also, in that vein, I think places like this, if you were to try to clean, you know, if you try to clean tar up off something, you can get a majority of it up. There's still going to be some there. So, I think this place, no matter what, unless it's raised to the ground, mm-hmm. you will always have some negativity there. And you may still, even if you raised it to the ground
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that land would probably f- from now on be tainted in some way, and there would always be something happening yeah, uh, paranormally at this place.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what do you guys think? Um, You know, these are some compelling stories. Um, Do you think that DeJernet is is a haunted facility? Um, You know, we're really not able to investigate it, at least at this point in time. Um, But the past investigations really lean towards somewhere that has multiple spirits, multiple entities, uh, and a lot of activity. Uh, So tell us what you think. Mm Mm-hmm. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Uh, you can go on Facebook and search Graveyard Tales, and you'll find us. We are, what, six, 7,000 strong now.
1: Yeah, um, close to eight. It,
2: it, Yeah, close to 8,000 members, um, and, and it's a fantastic place. It, it's a good place to have some fun and share some personal experiences and maybe some thoughts on some places that we uh, discuss on the show then you can go check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And we thank everyone that has donated to the show. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge difference uh, in allowing Adam and I to continue and, and put out bigger and better content for our listeners. Right? Yeah. So, whoo, Lordy. (laughs) What a place, man. What a place. What
1: an individual, too.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard.
1: See you soon.